Welcome to Prescribing Prosperity with your hosts, John and Alex Sutsos from MidWealth Financial Services, operating through IPC Securities Corporation. In this podcast, we provide unique insights into wealth management, the psychology of financial decisions, and help listeners place the capital markets into perspective. Our aim is to help physicians, business owners, and other medical professionals to live their dream. Life is to live and enjoy, so we'll also cover health and lifestyle-related topics such as food, dining, travel, and unique experiences. Learn how global trends shape our investment strategy as we help you assemble your roadmap to prosperity. Hello, and welcome to the Prescribing Prosperity Podcast. Gentlemen, good to see you again. Uh, This topic today... uh, it intrigues me and interests me, and I will be paying particular close attention to what your guest has to say about this. I'll let you reveal the topic, Alex, but uh, I'm all ears. All right. Thanks, Bill. We're going to be talking about cryptocurrency and blockchain investing today with uh, with my friend Skylar Sinkowski. So, uh, Skylar, how are you doing today? Always good. All right. That's great to hear. <laughs> Glad to uh, glad to hear you're doing well. Yeah, it's a it's an an intriguing topic for sure, uh, Bill. It's one that we've gotten a lot of questions about, and I have a uh, client meeting later today, and I suspect we're going to be getting into uh, this very topic. So it's actually going to be a nice little uh, warm up for me to uh, to discuss this here with Skylar. So uh, for for those of you uh, who don't know, I know Skylar from playing hockey on Fridays, and so uh, depending on Skylar's performance today, it will dictate how many. How many passes he receives if he's on my team or if he's on the other team, how many slashes he gets. So uh, <laughs> hopefully it goes well today for Skylar's sake. <laughs> this sounds very on. Canadian, okay? <laughs> yes, it is. Well, but we apologize afterwards and share a beer. So that's what makes it ultra Canadian. Just for that, I hope we're on opposite Shani teams now. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. We got we to gotta even it out anyway. Make it fair for the other team. We can make it Italian and decide how, how big his concrete boots are going to be. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Skylar, we're going to go for a drive. That's funny. Anyway, so uh, uh, normally we begin the, uh, the we would begin the podcast by having Skylar tell us a little bit of, uh, about his background and about his company and uh, about how he got up to uh, this point in his career and what his journey was was. And now, because this is a relatively unknown topic for a lot of listeners, we're going to actually do things a little bit differently today. So perhaps it'd be best if, uh, Skylar, you wouldn't mind just giving us a brief overview about what cryptocurrency is, what blockchain is, what the the difference between the two, and uh, and explain a little bit about how it works, and then we'll get into your background. Yeah, for sure. So one thing I always preach is to keep things as simple as possible. So this terms of definition will be as the most basic version we can get to. So a cryptocurrency, you can think of it as a digital form of value, okay? Mm-hmm. And you can think of blockchain technology as a digital ledger that moves and records that value. So those are the two separations. One, the crypto is a form of digital value, and the blockchain technology is what moves and transacts that value. The easiest way to think about it is a train and train track analogy. So you can think of a cryptocurrency like a train and the blockchain technology as the train tracks that help that train move along. So that is the most basic way to think it through. Yeah, perfect. I think that's, that's, uh, uh, that's a great way to describe it and uh, a very relatable example. I've already so... learned more in the last 60 <laughs> seconds than I have in the last five years. <laughs> Again, just keep it, keep it sweet and simple, right? 
<laughs> Absolutely. So that's great, Skylar. So uh, now that we have a, a broad level understanding of what, uh, of what cryptocurrency, what blockchain technology is, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in, uh, in working in this industry? Yeah, cool. So um, when I was doing my master's, I actually did an undergrad and master's in environment. And I got a job at uh, with the government working in an environment, and it was about through that career path where I was looking ahead going, something isn't adding up with what the wages will be versus the cost of living. And this was years ago before stuff hit now, right? So it was in that time I tried figuring, okay, what are some different things to do to try and take income to the next level? And investing was one of them. Um, so I started teaching myself investing and it started with stocks. And as I started researching deeper and deeper, I got the research skills from my master's. So I just mm -hmm. did those research techniques just on investing. And that actually led me into blockchain and crypto. And it felt like that rabbit hole just went like on forever. So the more you research over and over and over, you start to see the bigger picture forming of what's coming in our world. Mm -hmm. And you start to see the opportunity unfold. So what got me in crypto was just the sheer potential of where we're headed and what's coming and the opportunity to get in now. So I can change my income and my family's income and the whole nine yards, right? You can call yeah. it the American dream if you want to go that way. So that led me to actually leaving my government job back in 2020 just to trade and invest crypto full time. Mm -hmm. And that worked well. And then I kept getting asked how to like what it is, if you think I can help people, this and that. So I started decided to start a business for it. So after I left the government job a few years later, I actually opened my company, Ascend Crypto, and I started with the online courses and the Patreon memberships for the research and stuff just to help people educate and learn on Crypto and Web3, but also consult for businesses and people if they want to implement it. So mm -hmm. if I already had all that knowledge and research, I decided just to put it in the company and take it to the public. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, I think that's a great idea. And it's a great business to be in because there's there's definitely a need for it. You know, a lot of people who are who manage money and who are investors are schooled and uh, and educated in the traditional investment methodologies. You know, you might get some people who are specialists when it comes to utilizing options and derivatives trading. And uh, and then obviously this is a, a completely new field, a field which, to be honest with you, has tremendous opportunity. And uh, as you and I have discussed, it could potentially uh, present the opportunity of a lifetime, given that all the world's systems uh, will be going towards a, uh, a digital platform and utilize Web3 technology, uh, which utilizes blockchain uh, in order to uh, to transmit information. And so uh, it, it definitely represents a tremendous opportunity for a lot of people. And it's important that we have people like yourself who are educated and knowledgeable about this industry in order to be able to communicate that knowledge in an efficient manner so that you can help people take advantage of this opportunity. So uh I'm going to turn it over to you, Dad, so uh, we can get things started uh, just discussing some of the applications for crypto and uh, and blockchain technology. Thank you, Alexander. Um, Skyler, uh, my, uh, other than cryptocurrency, my understanding of tracking the value of an asset has been transferred recently to things like art and music. Uh, so perhaps you can start with that application for blockchain technology, and then we can elaborate further from there. Uh, sure. So to take a little step back from that, um, to think of blockchain, well, like we do the tree and track analogy, right? So the difference with, say, you want to have digital value, like you're talking about art or music or whatnot, the difference with this scenario and what it could be utilized for is now you open up that market for that one art asset or music asset, and you open up worldwide. So one of the best things about blockchain is it's almost borderless. 
it doesn't mean that a government jurisdiction isn't a thing. It just means that it can transact across borders without the hassle that banks have to go through and such. If you have an asset like art or a song, you could transact that and send that worldwide across the blockchain and not have to worry about some of the political things that hold up other transactions in our world today, if that makes sense. One of the biggest use cases of blockchain is connecting everything worldwide seamlessly. So that whether that be a art asset or a music asset or even value uh, money asset on the digital blockchain, it could be a whole bunch of things. It just opens up worldwide and connects everyone that way. And, uh, this... I, sorry, sorry Dad, I just wanted to <laughs> jump in really quickly w with regards to something like art or, or something like music. It also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Skyler, but it also allows you to uh, to take essentially derivative value off of that piece. So instead of, you know, the the owner of that piece of art being the sole beneficiary of that asset, they could technically monetize that asset by selling shares of it. They could uh, they could distribute portions of that asset essentially while still retaining the physical uh, value of the asset itself. Could they not, Skylar? Yes, exactly. So say you had a piece of art. Say, hypothetically, they digitized the Mona Lisa as the one piece of art and they could create fractional shares of like say crypto tokens of the Mona Lisa and say hypothetically the Mona Lisa is valued at a hundred million. Mm -hmm. I actually don't, I actually don't know what it's valued at. So I hope I'm not butchering it. Oh, that's <laughs> okay. This is just a hypothetical, right? Yes. So say it's valued at hundred million and you can go, okay, people, we want to monetize this. Let's sell 20%. So we're going to sell 20 million worth to the public and people can actually invest in the Mona Lisa mm -hmm. for at the 20% uh, of the tokens that are available as is fractionalized. If the value of the Mona Lisa goes up, then so do their fractional shares as well. Right. Absolutely. All right. Sorry, Dad. I, I just wanted to yeah, jump in. With that. No go problem. Uh, and and so actually, sorry, to go back to what John was saying about the benefits of blockchain is if you were to monetize that Mona Lisa digitally, all of a sudden the blockchain technology would allow it to be transacted worldwide. So when it be stuck to a jurisdiction or a country, it would still be under jurisdictional law. However, the trading would be that much easier because now it opens up to the world. My my understanding on on blockchain is when a transaction occurs, that that transaction shows up in a sequence and it's locked in there and no one can change it. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. There so, are some, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but there are some people who try and hack that information. Right. However, as the ledger, the train tracks in our metaphor, right. Right. that that is in sequential order and the information and data that is put into the blocks along the train right. track, that is set in stone and that cannot be manipulated. So that offers transparency. So when we say the train tracks, we're not necessarily talking about the rails. We're talking about the, the pieces of wood in between. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's exactly it. Those are right. the blocks the blocks of information that are being stored in right. sequential order. Okay, good. So how, how moving it away from art and, and um, music, how do uh, organizations or corporations integrate the techn uh, this blockchain technology into their operations going forward? This type of technology can be put across almost every industry in the world today. And the options to answer your question are absolutely limitless almost, right? And they're going to be even more being created in the future that we can't even fathom right now because the, as the industry grows, right? So some of the easiest ways could be monetizing assets to be traded in the fractional like Alex mentioned. And one of the ones that comes to mind is real estate. So all of a sudden, now you have an example of blockchain that could really expand an industry to make it global, even though real estate can be a local thing. And what I mean by that is if you take the deed 
to a real estate and you were to tokenize that deed, which is the ownership of it. And someone say has an apartment building and they want to go, I would like to sell 20% of this apartment building for fractional shares. It now does two things. They can open up to the world, to anyone in the world, if they do the real estate research, can buy into their property at fractional shares. The person who owns the building can get some liquidity, some money coming in so they can sell a little bit while still maintaining control. And depending on how large the shares are, you can have everyday people who have a everyday stock account or everyday crypto account. They can put $1,000 into real estate, something as little as that, versus now you need so much capital to invest in real estate. But now you open it up to almost everybody. It depends on how the shares are distributed and what their value are. But you can go in as a hundred bucks, you can go at five hundred, a thousand, but it can almost open it up to so many more investors. So initially, there has to be a, a, an exchange of currency between the uh, regular currencies of the world and the blockchain. Uh, so, you, for example, Bitcoin. So initially, you would have to transact, to purchase the Bitcoin, and then using the Bitcoin, you can buy the asset you're describing. Is that right? In a way, yes. However, those options will be expanding, especially as our dollar goes digital. So mm-hmm. payment options will be expanding to almost like all kinds of different assets you can think of. And well, you don't have to just use Bitcoin. You'll be able to use other crypto assets or digital dollars as well. So one of the things that blockchain is really, really good at is it's, we'll call it interoperability. So think of uh, interconnect- interconnectivity of everything in the world, right? So you can have all these dollars, all these different kinds of crypto, and all of a sudden you can have it swapped behind the scenes of the transaction to pay for something. So you can pay almost in whatever you want, but the seller gets what they want in the end because it gets swapped behind the scenes. So yes, you can pay in Bitcoin. However, when this starts to grow more and more, the payment options will expand and it'll be almost limitless. Where, where is this uh, physical, is it, well, it's not a physical market, obviously it's residing on the, on computers, but is there an, um, an interactive uh, website where all these transactions take place? Uh, do you mean in terms of the blockchain ledger or do you mean in terms of like the real estate example that I gave? Both. So what's the interface? So I, I'm, I want to yeah. buy a piece of the Mona Lisa. Where do I go on the internet to do that? So Assuming it's for sale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Assuming that's for sale. So right now there are websites that are regulated by governments and they're operating in jurisdictions that do offer that uh, ability. There's one crypto project called Algorand. And I forget what the specific project is called. I can look it up later and give it to you guys. But they do have a website where you can go on and buy fractional shares of a rental property and actually receive rental income from those fractional shares. So the interface will be a website that is regulated. And in the near future, it will be involved with banks. So you'll be able to do it with them as well. And how, how do we, how does someone ensure that they actually get value in the transaction? So you don't know who you're dealing with, or do you know who you're dealing with? And uh, so you, you, you execute a transaction. What's the, uh, uh, so in, in the market, there, there's obviously a settlement process. How does the settlement process work? Or is this so advanced that it's just done with trans- digital uh, exchanges and, and no one's actually physically involved? That's a really good question. So let's go on to the real estate example that I gave with Algorand, right? So say there's a property up and you can buy fractional shares to earn rental income. If you were to go buy that, those fractional shares already are already put up by the seller ready to be sold. So it's almost like, think of an escrow. So those shares are waiting to be swapped 
instantly, but all it needs is the payment to come in. Once the payment comes in, it's an instant swap on the blockchain and it's trustless. So that way no one gets screwed in the end because uh, the transaction would not go through unless both parties, uh, their asks are met. So, and when they're met, they're in sold instantly. So that way it's trusted. Now, thank you. That's um, beginning to understand this a lot more. How, yeah, how can... sorry, sorry to interrupt, but you can think of it as code is law. So the code, code is on, law? Yeah, code on the blockchain is law. So the transaction would not go through unless the code matched and then go. Okay, so are we going to call this the Justinian code? Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> how can, how can, so how is this technology going to impact the financial services industries, uh, which obviously has a lot of uh, guardrails around it and uh, from country to country, the United States especially is very protective about its financial services industry. Uh, how is the impact going to be there? It is going to turn it upside down. And that is not to be exaggerated because that's exactly what it is doing. That is exactly what's going on behind the scenes right now. And that's exactly what's coming. <laughs> so what I mean by that is one of the ways it's going to transform financial services is it'll be digitizing almost every, pro every product in the financial services sector you can think of. So one of the ways will be the stock market. So right now, think of uh, individual shares in the stock market being sold by a company. If I want to go buy a stock, say it's listed on NASDAQ, I have to have access to the NASDAQ exchange, and I can only buy that stock share between the trading hours, right? So it's limited throughout yeah. the day. Mm -hmm. If that stock becomes digitized on right. the NASDAQ, all of a sudden, the opportunity for people to invest go way broad in the world because now the access to the NASDAQ becomes easier on the blockchain. Not only that, but crypto assets are traded 24-7, not limited hours during the day. So all of a sudden, the investing opportunity grows that anyone in the world can buy at whatever time time zone they're in because it's 24 hours. That's are, one huge way. Aren't exchanges like NASDAQ and others going to be squeezed out or are they already in the process of uh, ensuring that they they maintain their presence? That's a really good question. And based on the patent research and how many crypto patents the NASDAQ has filed, I would say that they're in a position to keep all their all their position as it is because they don't right. want to lose it. Right. So they're 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 ahead of the ball, they're going for it, and they're making sure they're up to the times. Now, right. what, what's being shown in the media is a little different, <laughs> but mm -hmm. they're they're on the ball. Yeah, I, I anticipated that they would probably want to defend their territory yeah. desperately. And and but you also have the issue of uh regulation. And uh, the U.S. obviously is, uh, for a variety of reasons, big on regulating the financial services industry and to protect from uh, money laundering, terrorist financing, et cetera. How are they going to keep their fingers in the process so uh, we don't have those issues uh, becoming problematic? That's a really, really good question. And we're going to take a step back on that one to answer it first. Okay. So right now in crypto, there is this the narrative in crypto right now is we're going to take down the banks and we're going to take down the financial sector and everyone's just going to trade Bitcoin between people for transactions. Right. But being the researchers we are, we know that's not going to happen. The banks aren't going to lose their power on that. Right. So the way they're going to regulate it is to ensure that crypto is going to work in harmony with their system. If everything's going to become digitized, if everything's going to go on blockchain, they're going to make sure it's in a way that jurisdiction and laws are still a thing that apply to it. So, one of the ways that will happen is through digital IDs, identifying on the blockchain. And the way you can code a digital ID is you can have it anonymous to the public. So like you said, we talked about earlier, you can go in on the blockchain, see the data, right? 
if yes. you have a digital ID, you can have anonymous transacted with anonymous. However, right. there are ways that you can provide the details of the user to jurisdictions. So they'll be able to see, they'll be able to have access to the data of all the citizens of what they're doing and making sure everything's up to date and with uh, know your customer with anti-money laundering. So they have all that in real time. Now, the person is protected online because their identity is anonymous through something called zero knowledge proofs. Now that's a little more technical, so we won't go over that, but there are a way to keep them anonymous with the government and laws and jurisdictions still being able to keep track of who it is because they have access to that data. So, so that's one way. To, gi yeah. to give an example uh, as to how that might work, it might be similar to like a, a double blind uh, medical study, for example, yeah. where the the patient or the uh, the test subject is unaware of what they're receiving, whether it's the uh, the drug in question or uh, the placebo. And at the same time, the uh, administrators of the uh, of the test, whether they be the actual uh, researchers or if they're just testers, uh, are unaware as to what each of the patients are actually receiving. So they can't in any way indicate, oh, you're getting a placebo or you're getting the uh, the actual drug. It's a it's in a similar situation with the zero identity. Am I correct in that, Skylar? Yeah, it's very, very similar. And to take it back with what I mentioned earlier, too. So a whole bunch of people in the narrative in crypto is we're going to take down the banks. We're going to remain anonymous, do this, do that. So what I mentioned will actually spark huge controversy in the crypto communities because they don't like to hear that. Now, with that said, that is what's coming, whether people like it or not, because government jurisdiction and banks and, and their data need to be protected. And the user still needs to abide by laws uh, for taxes and everything, right? So the answer to your question, John, there are ways to find that balance where people can still remain anonymous to the public. However, the government, you can call it Big Brother, will still be able to watch over them, making sure all the taxes are paid, that there's no money laundering, stuff like that. So Skylar, for people of my generation uh, or people older than my generation, even, even Generation X, which is the one before the baby boomers, uh, this sounds somewhat complicated. And five years from now, someone may want to be transacting uh, the purchase of a house and they're going to have to get involved in all this stuff. Is there still an opportunity for intermediaries like real estate agents or financial services organizations to assist people in executing these transactions? Uh, in my opinion, there absolutely will be. So to go with what you're saying, uh, that might be complicated for some subset of the population. One of the very first things with crypto and Web3 adoption that will happen is to make sure that the interfaces that people are using are seamless. So as an example, before we go into the specifics of your question, if I wanted to send money to a relative overseas, right now I can send a wire transfer just through my phone on my banking app, right? It will still look the exact same way, except mm -hmm. on the back end, it'll be mm -hmm. through the blockchain and crypto. Right. So the, the difference will be, the difference will be what people can't see. So a lot of these systems I'm mentioning are going to be happening behind the scenes. And a lot of times with the products that are coming out and the interfaces and the applications, people won't even know they're using it. It just looks right. so seamless and so I normal. See. Right. Okay. Now there will be different options. So say someone likes a house that they want to buy, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. they might be able to go online and just do a quick transaction through their phone and go buy the house. However, some people might prefer to be shown and the process be done for them. Right. So there will still be opportunity for like real estate agents to still do all that. However, there might be some people who might be want might be more independent and they mm -hmm. actually now have the opportunity to do that more themselves. Right. So I like to call it a harmony. There'll be a balance between the two. 
more opportunity yeah. for the people who are independent versus more for people who want like I want the process done by someone else and they can take care of it for me. And, okay. and two two other applications that I was thinking of what you were discussing that Skylar was number one. So, you know, let's talk about uh, if somebody wants to monetize a portion of their uh, of their house. So right now, what you would normally do is uh, take out like a, a home equity line of credit. You could put that on the blockchain and you could transact that much faster. So let's say, you know, right now, uh, Dad, you're doing some renovations at the house. You wanted to uh, monetize a portion of the house's uh, asset value. Instead of having to go have an appraiser come in and uh, and value the house, you could, if it was on the blockchain and the entire real estate in our area was uh, was on the blockchain, there would be an instantaneous valuation that's applied to the house, an estimate as to what it would be worth. You could basically turn around and say, okay, I want to monetize 10% of that. I want to sell these shares on the open market, take in that cash, utilize that to uh, supplement your cash flow to pay for the renovation. And then down the road, once you've completed the renovations and you want to buy back those shares, you can just go back on the uh, on the blockchain, essentially exchange, and buy back your ownership stake in the house. Does that make sense? <laughs> Bill, Bill, my son knows too much already about this stuff. I'm going to change all the passwords on my cell phone. <laughs> He's going to be selling my new bathroom. <laughs> You're going to wake oh. up one morning and find out your bathroom's been monitored. There's going to be some, Alex, some so strange can, person in the bathroom using the toilet. Yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm just gonna sell that new toilet because it's all digital, so I can sell it to somebody in China, so they can control uh, what functions are going on while you're sitting oh, man, on it. I, I'm not it, sitting it, on there with some other person in charge. It, so yes, John, it, it John is John absolutely just wandered sorry. into the digital nightmare. Everybody it is, is afraid of oh, wow. Bitcoin. <laughs> it, it is absolutely <laughs> hilarious that this topic is going to be like a whole financial revolution. And what we've come to is digitizing bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everything in this world. Well, everything down. Yeah. comes down to the necessities. In yeah, life, exactly. Skyler. I mean, come on. <laughs> Keeping it simple, right? Exactly. exactly. Keep it simple. Digitize yeah. the bathrooms and monetize it. Yeah, exactly. Think about it this way, Dad. Think about how much of a to take it out of the bathroom and back onto the markets. Think about how different it'll be dealing with clients who who love real estate investing because right. real estate investing is a great avenue to go through because partially in uh, as a result of the ability to use leverage in order to amplify your returns. One of the things that people don't realize or, or don't fully internalize with real estate is the valuations fluctuate just like they do with the stock market, of but course. they don't see it because it's in a liquid market. Imagine exactly. now that it becomes fully digitized and fully liquid. And so you can see mark to market valuations on a daily or, or second to second basis. It might actually, uh, you know, provide people with a bit of a wake up call to see how much their housing value changes. And it might uh, cause people to be less interested in uh, in investing in, in real estate, maybe not less interested, but it, it'll just change their perspective when it comes to looking at real estate relative to traditional uh, investment methodologies like stocks and bonds. Yeah, if, if that happens, then you're going to introduce into uh, housing as an investment strategy, the emotions that affect the, the financial markets. Exactly. So all the behavioral biases and emotions that cause people to buy and sell securities at the at the wrong time will be introduced <laughs> yep. into into real estate and uh that that will make it like you said a, a very different asset class than than it has been for the last uh, 100 years mm -hmm. maybe you guys, level you guys are bang field. on you guys yeah. are bang on with that yeah yeah level the playing field yeah appreciate that uh skylar um so one thing i just wanted to uh to jump in and ask uh while we're still on this topic and then i'll we'll transition away uh, into a different section 
But I wanted to uh, you to give our our listeners a bit of perspective, Skylar, as to where we are in terms of the uh, the pro the process of progressing towards a a wide scale adoption of this technology. Because we can obviously see there's a lot of different applications that are out there. We can see that a lot of companies are moving in that direction. A lot of industries are going to be moving in that direction. Where are we on a you know zero to one hundred basis? You know how far along the path are we before we uh, see this as a fully integrated and widely adopted uh, platform and technology across industries. It'd be tough to say a percentage point from zero to one hundred, but like I would honestly say sub ten percent. Okay, if that, and that doesn't mean that we're far away because mm-hmm. asset class is going to grow exponentially. Mm-hmm. So that next, like, say we're at seven percent, that next to like ninety five percent is going to be like a jump, right? right? right. So. We are, what I could call, we're on the breaking point. And the breaking point is regulations are coming. The International Monetary Fund said regulations are coming within the next year and a half, which is not a long time at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Europe's uh, MICA crypto regulations will be starting in June. And the US, though, they, they kicked off the regulations with the SEC really fast now, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not far behind. Canada has already been coming down with regulations pretty hard. And by heart, I mean, they're changing a lot in the cryptoscape in Canada. At this point, the breaking point is once regulations hit and the government goes, this is what's allowed, this is what's not allowed, whatever is allowed is going to see a boom like there's no tomorrow. The mm-hmm. bank, banks will come in heavily. The financial institutions will come in heavily. All these software companies, all these uh, other financial companies, tech companies especially, everyone's going to want a piece of the pie, mm-hmm. which is why they're setting up for it now. Skyler, so, this is this is this is sounding very frightening as soon as you started introducing <laughs> the government into all this. Yeah. Because if if the regulation becomes that severe, what what stops the government in the future during a another pandemic or some or or some other reason that they decide upon to say, okay, we're not going to allow any transactions to occur in this channel. And uh, because we're regulating the the cryptocurrencies, we're going to turn that switch off. And now that that's done until we decide that uh, that's uh, going to be permitted again. Is, is there any protection against the government doing that and shutting down the economy or parts of the economy that they're not happy with? That is another very good question. And you're on the ball with that one. So to answer that first, um, what you're saying, and that is legitimate fear, in my ter- my eyes, it's already happened. So here in Canada, for all the listeners who are outside of Canada, we had the trucker convoy protest in Ottawa. And people who donated funds to that protest got their bank accounts frozen in real time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the worries that are coming with crypto and blockchain are already here and they already happened. So it's almost like it's going to be no different to what they can do. It's just they may be able to do it faster or more specific, like you said, to a market. So I, th- I think people. Sorry to interrupt you, but I, no, go for I think I think I think people um, who are listening to this need to think more deeply about who they're electing into government. That is a big be- one, yes. Be- because if if you're electing people who like intervention, <laughs> this this potentially can become very problematic. Uh, but the you know the libertarian in me. <laughs> wants to keep the government uh, out of uh, our business as much as possible. And it's just becoming increasingly more frightening the way they continue to creep into our, our personal lives. I, I, Pierre Trudeau went, said when he was in power, the government has no place in the bedrooms of the nation in reference to uh, another topic. But 
uh, it sounds to me like the government wants to be in in everything in the nation and and that's very frightening and and is there a way that cryptocurrency can protect against that or is there what do we do about well, before like Skyler answers that question I, I have to provide a little bit more context and color to that question I think what a lot of people are afraid of Skyler gave a great example with the uh the truck convoy here in Canada uh, but I, I think what another example might be that people might be f- uh, familiar with is the social credit system that has existed in China, where they are limiting your transactions, your ability to transact in certain areas based upon your social credit score. So they have assigned, the government has assigned an arbitrary or subjective social credit score based on who you are, your beliefs and your actions. And that might potentially impede your ability to go out and purchase certain goods and services or transact outside of a certain area if they were to choose to as we said lock down a specific area it might impede your ability to uh, travel outside of that area and still be able to have access to your money and so i'll I'll let you uh take it away skylar and and answer my dad's question which is what can be done to to protect people or is there anything that can be done on the blockchain or using cryptocurrency to protect people's abilities to still have freedom to access their own financial assets yeah. So you guys, again, I mentioned this just now, but you guys are totally on the ball with that. So uh, to answer your question, let's talk about polarity. So there's always two sides to the same coin, right? Mm-hmm. So on the one side, you have the government shutting down the chain or shutting down parts of the economy or shutting down people's bank accounts because it's all digitized. They can do it in an instant. They also have social credit systems. They can decide based on your beliefs and what you post online. And on the other side, you have the digitization of business and people can literally run hypothetically a small business from their smartphone. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden there's two sides of the same coin here. And this, uh, I'll answer your question as we go on with this. Okay. So you have one side where someone can run a small business from their phone and they can uh, do everything digital and they don't need to pay expensive fees for, for say payments or for banking fees. And all of a sudden their life becomes so much better because they're taking more money and they're saving on fees and they can reach so many more people in the world, especially if their business is online. And again, just through a tablet or a smartphone because everything's digitized. So on that side, you have all this excitement and happiness and it can actually bring prosperity to a certain subset of the population. And again, and liquefies the system. So you have more opportunities in other sectors like the real estate investing. All of a sudden, more people can invest in real estate even with 500 bucks, hypothetically, because you right. fractionalize the deed. Now, on the other side, you have the tyranny, <laughs> right? If the government were to come down and go, this is what's allowed, this is what's not allowed. And what allowed is pure tyranny. There'd be nothing on chain you could do because you'd still be a citizen to the government. No, what needs to happen is in the election booth. Mm-hmm. So the people need to be keep their politicians in line almost, right? So you can have two sides here coming down the pipeline of what can happen with this digitization of the systems coming. And it's up to the people to decide if they're going to let them bring certain aspects in or they stop them in the tracks. That, that, that's very and, frightening. That's very yeah. frightening uh, be, because we saw during the pandemic how a large portion of the population wanted government protection. And yeah. uh, the people who 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 crave that may want to introduce a government that is of that nature, and and then we run into difficulty. So this 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 can really go down a a bad path if if people are not more educated when they're making their decisions at election time. 
Yes, exactly. And when the digital dollar gets introduced, there are loud voices right now of expressing those worries. So it's up to them to keep expressing those worries and make sure that voice is still heard. And that's Mm -hmm. still one of the biggest pushbacks that the U.S. Fed or the central banks of England and Canada, because they're the ones talking about a lot about it. That's a lot of the pushback they're getting already is we know that you can control a lot with this and we're not going to let that happen. So in my eyes, that's a damn good thing because you can already see people who are a little bit educated on that subject. They can already push him back on that. And like you said, John, the key here is to have the majority of the population become educated on where everything's headed and educate on both sides of it. So they know that how it could be used for good and they know how it could be used for bad because then that's how we can have the balance and making sure that it doesn't tip to the negative side. I I think you're going to have greater value in this economy, Skylar, because you're going to have to be doing a lot of this education yourself. Yeah. I'll be like, hey, people, come on, wake up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's absolutely uh, true. You're going to, it's, it's incumbent upon people to, to not essentially let the wool get pulled over their eyes and only, only focus on the, the shiny uh, candy and, or the shiny object and the, uh, the candy that gets dangled in front of them. Like, hey, look, this is great. You have to understand, you know, everything in life is is a balancing act there there are no absolutes there are trade-offs yeah and so you have to understand what the trade-offs are and be careful that what you are acquiring does not come at a cost that you don't see exactly and one thing i do want to mention is that people are prosperous like the name of your podcast right (laughs) they do know how to work around things so like my buddy uh he's also into crypto he works for solana that's a crypto project for those of you who don't know uh he actually donated them yeah, there you go. <laughs> he actually invested in the trucker fund and he's one of the people who got his bank accounts frozen. So wow. he he couldn't buy groceries because his debit and credit card wouldn't work. That's so, awesome. ta- so talk about tyranny. What did work though was his crypto debit card. So he actually kept buying groceries with his crypto. <laughs> Good man. Yeah. It's so a, it, pe- people are prosperous. Like they will find ways if that happens. Now with yeah. that with that said, obviously the government now realizes, oh my God, that's a loophole. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was right? going to say that. So couldn't technically you could still utilize cryptocurrency, but you would just have to go off the regulated books and basically the, the, the in the same way that there's the Internet and there's the the dark web, for lack of a better term. On the podcast, in a professional sense, I can't advocate for it, but my personal <laughs> side is like, absolutely. Yes. OK, <laughs> go for we're it. All, we're all adults here, Skylar. So yeah. uh, anyway, so that actually uh, dovetails, dovetails nicely into uh, the next section that I wanted to get into, which was uh, investing in cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. So when it comes to investing in these uh, in these assets and in this technology, what are some of the criteria that you look for when trying to differentiate between What's a good company? What's a bad company? What makes them attractive? And and, and what is your criteria for, for allocating money towards them? Awesome. So the very first thing that I always try and tell people, especially as subscribers, is you want to see what the utility of the crypto asset and the blockchain are. So what is its purpose and what's the problem it's trying to solve? There are, I think at the time of recording right now, there are over 26,000 uh, cryptocurrencies or crypto projects. And the majority of them are absolute garbage. The reason being is because someone created them just to try and get money coming into them so people buy it from them. And the crypto project serves zero purpose. So as a long-term investment, the first thing you want to look at is what is the problem it's solving and what is the purpose of this project. So that gives it value right then and there. If they take a financial product, right? So say they want to digitize stocks and allow it to be traded worldwide. Well, that's a huge use case. And that's a lot of utility right there. Say like that project I mentioned, Algorand where they can take real estate, tokenize it, 
and allowed to be traded on blockchain with fractional shares. That's a massive use case right there versus mm -hmm. something like Bitcoin. And this is going to take a lot of heat from the Bitcoin enthusiasts mm -hmm. that its sole purpose is to trade peer to peer just between right. people. So yes, that could be used. However, how much value is there really in that in the long term? Is there more value in tokenizing the entire world's real estate market or more value in peer to peer transactions at the time? Right. Right. So, that's so you're, to you're almost well. sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but this reminds me of the revolution with uh, uh, the internet and, and the mapping of the DNA that was occurring 23 years ago. <laughs> and so you're describing about bringing tokenizing real estate. Sounds like what that happened at, in that time period, which obviously to me sounds far more valuable than simply peer-to-peer -peer transactions, which yeah. means that yeah. Bitcoin... Is not all it's cracked up to be from from what I'm sensing in your response. <laughs> uh, you're again, I keep saying this, but you guys are bang on with what you're seeing here. So again, I will take a lot of flack from my view on this from the traditional crypto enthusiasts because they believe again we're taking down the banks with Bitcoin. But if you were to follow the research, you see that they're actually going to be on board. So what is Bitcoin's role going to be when all the banks and financial institutions come on board? That's my worry, and that's why I always research other crypto projects who are not only have a have a problem they're solving have utility because they do something but also who are they working with so that's the third thing i'd like to mention too we we'll go with we said john and it's to follow the money so are there partnerships already in place right now with big institutions and big corporations that actually have value themselves and what are they solving for those big corporations right I mentioned some projects to Alex before. So I'll give you an example called Hedera. I researched this one for my subscribers as well. And it's one of my favorites. And on the, the Hedera set up like a consortium. So on their council, they have Google, IBM, Boeing, uh, Dell Technologies. They have a couple banks. And all these corporations and banks are already running a crypto project, right? And right. so that if I'm not gonna get too much into it now, but that crypto project solves a lot of issues in our financial world today. And they're backed by some of the biggest players in the space. So when I'm researching crypto, I look at that because like we mentioned, regulations are coming. So when regulations come and they go, this is good, this is not good. You can't do that. It's more likely that one's going to be on the good side because look who's backing it. Correct. And to go with what you mentioned with uh, 23 years ago, John, it is freaky how similar if you were to research these trends uh, how the dot-com bubble 23 years ago is almost like to a T what's going on in crypto right now. Mm -hmm. How you have all these uh, assets popping out of the blue, inflating this big bubble, and a lot of it's crap that doesn't do anything. And yeah. when that goes boom, there's going to be a select few who had the fundamentals, who had the utility, who solved problems. They're going to rise up from the ashes, just like Google did, just like Microsoft did, like Apple did. Amazon. Um, Amazon. Like, yeah. so that's what we're looking for right now. Who are those kinds in the crypto space? And so that's a lot of similarities of what you mentioned too. I, I think I think people assume because Bitcoin is the most well-known, it will be the dominant player in the future. And from what you're describing to me, I think we can see potentially a transition away from the um, spotlight that Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin has been dominating for the for the last decade or however long it's been and, it, and this happens in every industry uh, you can go back a hundred years with the innovation yeah. of the airplane and how the initial players in in the airplane industry and the automobile industry they eventually fell by the wayside and others eventually dominated so it's, it sounds the same to me as that yeah. 
Well, and and to give a, a an example that a lot of people are probably familiar with, think about. I'll ask everybody on here, Bill included. What was the first smartphone? I, I would say BlackBerry. Correct. Yeah, I was going to say, gosh, I don't know. I'll go with John BlackBerry. Okay, I was so. act- I was actually going to guess iPhone just because I didn't know, but I think they're right. <laughs> yeah. So it it is uh, BlackBerry, Skyler. And can and, anybody? And where are they here, now? I, I was yeah. going to say, so they're trading at like three dollars on, yeah. on, well, so on the Nasdaq. Blackberry, Blackberry doesn't even make smartphones anymore. They're not even no. in the phone manufacturing yeah. technology. Yeah. They do cybersecurity now. You know how many people own a Blackberry right now and are using a Blackberry for actual day to day conversations? Zero. <laughs> no, none. So that's and uh, maybe not zero. I'm exaggerating slightly there, but the point is, if if you're using a BlackBerry, Uh-oh. you're using it for very basic functionality because it's no longer supported by anybody. And they were the first one. They were the uh, the go-to and the well-known product in the smartphone space. Every business person, every company, if they wanted to give their employees a business phone, they gave them a BlackBerry. But what ended up happening was BlackBerry stopped innovating. They lost their competitive edge and they were eventually outpaced by companies like Google and Apple. And so they eventually faded away. And although everybody at the time said, well, BlackBerry's the first one, they're the incumbent, they're not going to go anywhere. It's really not relevant that you're the first one or you're the the one that comes to mind the most when people think about a particular industry. If you lose your functionality, you lose your edge, you lose your ability to derive value or provide value to people, then you're no longer going to succeed on a long-term basis. And I think that's what Skylar's indicated here with Bitcoin is that they are essentially, they've limited themselves or they painted themselves in a corner as essentially being the interact or the, uh, what, what there's another uh, wire uh, wire transfer service that exists. Uh, Dad, do you remember what the name of it is where you can Swift? send money? Swift. Swift, thank you. And there's a, there's a marketplace for that, but there's a, the value for that functionality is limited. And there, if you can provide greater value than just simply transacting peer-to-peer financial movements, then not, your value can be that much higher. Am I wrong, Skylar? No, on point. You guys you guys are nailing it here. <laughs> and so, I'm not, so I'm not, if I just want to re- like get some context here, sorry, John, sure. is um, I'm not saying Bitcoin is bad. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that it doesn't have a place where there's store value in the near future. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say is if you look at the fundamentals of the technology, it is night and day difference between what Bitcoin created and what's coming out now and what the new technology is for crypto and blockchain. For, as an example, Bitcoin transacts at three to seven transactions a second. Mm-hmm. That is like snail's pace compared to other crypto projects that can do like 80,000 transactions a second. And I'm right. talking three versus 80,000. Like right. it's, it's night and day difference. And if we're entering into a world where everything is going to be digitized and monetized and these transactions need to be able to keep up with the demand, mm-hmm. how is three to seven transactions supposed to do anything? So yeah, this I, is this is like when I skate on the ice and when Alexander skates on the ice or you <laughs> skate on the ice. I, I'm, I'm at three transactions per hour and you guys are at 50 million. I'm, I'm, I'm all here for the cane references. So absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to make sure that our uh, our Canadian audience is uh, well apprised of the situation. Absolutely. And, can understand. <laughs> and uh, again, that's not saying Bitcoin's bad. That's not saying that it can be a store of value, mm-hmm. right? But what I'm saying is when we're researching for value in the crypto space, Bitcoin is the top dog right now. It's the first mover. It's like wow. the my it's like the MySpace of social media, the way I like to say it. Whoa, whoa, I, whoa. I, I know I There's will get a ton of I will take a ton of flack 
from the crypto community right now of all the traditional crypto enthusiasts who say that, yeah. but I'm going with it on that one. You're, um, you're getting me excited here, Scott, because <laughs> I'm thinking I'm going to come up with a drachma coin and I'm going to be digitizing the Acropolis. <laughs> do it do it all <laughs> right if you can find a way that then there's value to be had there for sure and just to add to john's question earlier um one thing to keep in mind for all the listeners there at the crypto market right now it's valued at i think it's just over a trillion in total with all the cryptos combined and it's all retail mm-hmm. there is almost no institutional money into this market and so bitcoin is the number one right now in a retail only market so when regulations come and all these big institutions and banks that are clearly sitting on the sidelines waiting for this because they've all put their patents in, <laughs> they're all ready to go. Where is that money going to go to? And right. it's the ones who solve the problems, the ones they're already partnering with now. And that's the way I look at it. Right? So can, can you answer my question about crypto mining? Sure. So so uh, Explain what that means exactly, and also explain the implications on the environment. Sure. So let's uh, give a, a simple definition of it. Mining is just a way for to run consensus, and consensus is the rules of the blockchain. So to make sure that all the rules and transactions are being followed. When someone mines Bitcoin, they're participating in uh, running the ledger, running the train tracks, and running the rules. So they're the ones who verify the trains running across the train tracks and saying, yes, you're following the rules. Yes, you're following the rules. Yes, you're following the rules. And when you mine Bitcoin and you participate in that consensus, you receive the transaction fee as a reward for doing so. So that's what mining is. So it's now, very, it sounds to me like a software engineer. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And software engineers are listening to me saying this going, oh, my God, he's butchering this. It's too simple because <laughs> it is really complicated. <laughs> right. But again, just to keep things simple yeah, now. Right. And that is another big thing with Bitcoin, John, is that it's called proof of work. And that's the consensus type. We have so many more different types of consensus now in different crypto projects where you can verify transactions on the blockchain using a phone now, which takes up to like no energy whatsoever. Versus you have these Bitcoin mining rigs like in the acres that are sucking power from the grid because this archaic consensus mechanism requires it to do so, right? So I think the last statistic I saw was like Bitcoin consumes more energy than like a lot of countries in the world, right? That's just from the mining versus you have crypto projects where their entire consensus can be run from a phone. So looking at the bigger picture here, oh, and that's also why Bitcoin transacts at three to seven transactions a second, just because the sheer amount of like data oh, energy needed. So how are these other companies doing it more efficiently than Bitcoin? So there's different methods on how to come to consensus. So there's different methods on what, simplify it, there's different methods on how to come to conclusions on who's following the rules and who's not. So Bitcoin is complicating it and versus other crypto projects are simplifying that process and getting with the technology and with the times, if that makes sense. Right. right? Obviously, this is the most bare, simple version to say it that way. But like anything, there's always different ways of doing something. So over the last few years, and especially now, all these different crypto projects are coming up with new methods, such as proof of stake, it's called. And those ones are allowing consensus to run smoothly and more efficiently with way less energy. So, so who's the enforcer? Sorry, sorry, Alexander. Yeah. Who's the enforcer? Uh, to, so, to use a hockey analogy. Yeah. Who's going to make enfor- sure the rules are being followed? The enforcer is the blockchain. The code is law. 
So let's let's give the example of Hedera, what I mentioned. So on its consortium, you have Google, IBM, Boeing, Dell Technologies, and we'll forget about the rest for now. So we'll take those four companies as an example. They are all running nodes on Hedera's blockchain, and they're participating in the consensus to make sure all the transactions are followed. While they're doing that, they have to follow the code of the network, and the code is law. So if a transaction or someone's trying to manipulate something, the consensus will block it because it's not following the code of the network. So these entities help do that in a more efficient way, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it's essentially like a a gigantic free market system in which somebody might try and uh, price an asset at an unrealistic valuation, but if nobody comes along to validate it and buy it at that uh, at that value, then essentially their their valuation is meaningless. Yes, exactly. Um, So that's a that's a really fascinating uh, discussion there, Skylar. And one of the things that I wanted to follow up with was okay, so we've identified Bitcoin as one that's uh, archaic in their in their technology and their uh, the way they uh, they mine their assets. Is there uh, other than Hedera? Um, is there another one? Can you give us an example of one of the ones that transacts that has a much higher transaction rate? Uh, would that be something like Ethereum, or is there uh, a different cryptocurrency that's a better example of something that has a much higher uh, transaction per second uh, speed? Oh, there are a number of them right now, and. One thing to keep in mind with that question, too, is that a network can always upgrade to include more transactions per second, depending on the upgrade. Right. So the two examples you can give, one's like XRP. Mm-hmm. Uh, the XRP ledger, I believe right now, is sitting at around 10,000 transactions a second. However, the one of the engineers of the ledger mentioned can go north of 100,000 with upgrades. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the ballpark you want to be in to be able to handle loads and demands of what's coming, right? Um, another one is Hedera. Hedera can almost transact infinitely, actually. The structure of Hedera's network is something called a tangle, and it can infinitely expand to meet demand. Right. So that one is pretty unfathomable to think about. How can something infinitely expand? It's like, yeah, that's exactly it. Right. And uh, I'll give you another one. There's one called Constellation. It's Mm -hmm. called DAG. And this is so genius and something cool for you guys to know. Constellation, the way they structured their digital network it's through something called a hypergraph and i know people who are watching this aren't physics experts and neither am i but to put simple terms a hypergraph is almost how our physical world and universe is built so they took what nature is and they digitized it and create a network of it that can infinitely handle all the transactions because the hypergraph is like hedera it can infinitely expand and they took the idea from our world as it is. <laughs> is, is. Is this based on fractals? In what way? Uh, in, in it, in the way. Well, you're talking about the way nature is constructed, and, and nature is constructed based on fractals and in mathematics. Uh, or are you not familiar with that terminology? Or I know a little bit about it, but it definitely is. You can definitely section the ledger to be fractionalized like that, and that's how a lot of these ledgers do. Uh, receive more so information. It, it, it's almost it's almost like uh, like a kaleidoscope, where as uh, you you see these incredible designs that are all interacting with each other yeah. in nature. Anyway, it's a, a fascinating subject uh, in terms of the, the, how, yeah. how they come up with these things. Yeah, uh, the one from Mother Nature is my favorite because it's almost like let's just do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Absolutely. So just uh, just to put a bow on that uh, before I transition us to our next topic, uh, Skylar. So is something like Ethereum 
more similar to Bitcoin than it is to Hedera or Ripple, which is XRP. Is is that the the correct analogy, or is Ethereum somewhere in between those those extremes? Uh, right now, it's in between. It used to okay. be more like it used to be more like Bitcoin. Not too long ago, we had Ethereum 2.0, which mm-hmm. is an upgrade of the Ethereum network. So Ethereum actually shared the exact same method of consensus as Bitcoin, called proof of work, mm-hmm. and they actually upgraded away from that to include a more modern one, proof of stake. Okay. So I know the, some people. So I know some people listening might not understand those terms. That's totally fine. Just understand that they moved away from the Bitcoin method and upgraded to a more modern approach, which is very smart. Right. And in order for that to happen, guys, um, the entire network needs to vote. Right. So it's it's more democracy, if you want to call it that. So when with these blockchain networks, where like uh, they have majority vote, the majority will vote and say yes, let's upgrade, and all of a sudden the new upgrade will be implemented, and now the whole chain has changed. The train right. tracks have changed to more efficient manner. Right, and we've gone from I don't know, I, so a, a using wooden, gauge, tie, wooden ties, we use titanium ties. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, the bu- electrical bullet trains. Yeah, we went from steam engines to put better trains on. Call it exactly. That. Yeah. So the the reason why I was perseverating on Ethereum was only because Ethereum is one of the uh, one of the big ones in terms of like the valuation, and it's it's been around longer, and that's why I was just curious as to try and uh, place it within the context of of some of those other ones that we've discussed, but I'm going to, I'm going to transition us a little bit uh, away from the investing aspect of it and uh, talk about um, some, let, let's call them crypto crises and ongoing litigation. So we just did th- a three part series of episodes on uh, financial market crises and, and things that have occurred in the uh, traditional financial markets. And obviously there have been some uh, bumps along the road within the crypto industry. And so one of the ones actually that jumped to my mind. So yesterday or two days ago, Skylar, you sent me an email or, uh, discussing how certain financial institutions can basically tokenize their assets, assets that wouldn't necessarily be able to, assets that exist on their balance sheet that they wouldn't uh, otherwise be able to monetize, monetize them in order to increase the amount of liquidity that exists within the system. And it uh, it sparked in my mind a, a bit of a parallel thinking about uh, what happened during the, uh, the 08 credit crisis where we had essentially a a situation where mortgages were utilized in order to create securitized. liquidity. Yeah, securitized yeah. in order to create more liquidity in the system. And then the risk was spread across multiple institutions and you had derivatives upon derivatives upon derivatives. Anyway, a long, long, long story short. So <laughs> Made I was, up out of thin uh, air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, the reason why I wanted to, uh, to bring that up is because I wanted to ask, you know, is there any risk that the underlying tokenized assets say something like gold or real estate could have their values manipulated to the extent that it could rely result in a collateralized financial collapse similar to the 08 credit crisis Uh, absolutely so one thing to answer your question is think of it like this if i were to tokenize everything i'm just making the system more efficient and i'm opening it up more so the financial practices may not necessarily change any differently the way they are today Except they're more, they're faster, they're cheaper, more they're, efficient, they brought, more efficient. They brought into more of an audience, more of an investor base, hypothetically speaking. Like that's why that's one of the actually that's a really good question in the sense that um, what a lot of people don't understand is the crypto technology isn't going to change the way business is conducted or financial activities are conducted, other than just bringing more options. If that makes right. sense. So right. if you can have a 08 collapse like where they they printed and create derivatives upon derivatives upon derivatives, who's saying they can't tokenize that and create even more tokenized derivatives, tokenized derivatives, tokenized derivatives, right? right? 
So that's not exactly a solution to all that. It's just depends on the laws and regulations. Right. That makes sense. And I think that's a, that's a, a good way of phrasing it and a good way of looking at it. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of different events now that have uh, that have occurred. I, I would have liked to to push this for the, uh, the sake of time. I, I won't push down that rabbit hole of going down the uh, the manipulation that potentially could <laughs> exist. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, though, uh, two scandals. And the first one is FTX. Like, I, and actually, timing-wise, it, it could be any better because yesterday the uh, uh, the court case, the ruling came down on uh, Samuel Bankman-Fried and uh, and his involvement in the FTX scandal. So can you tell us a little bit about what happened with regards to FTX and, uh, and Mr. Samuel Bankman-Fried? Yeah, uh, I just want to say it's also perfect timing for you guys in this podcast day. Eh? Just yeah. happened yeah. to come down, well, happened to come down the day before. <laughs> that, that, that's what experience does, Skyler. It's yeah, my exactly. experience. <laughs> uh, I anticipated this. You felt it in your bones. You knew when the timing was right. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that's the investing experience right there. Yeah. <laughs> keep in mind when I when I say what happened to Sam Bankman Fried and the crypto exchange. Keep in mind that the same thing can hypothetically happen with banks. So this isn't just a, a crypto-only problem. It was just easier to do in crypto right now. Yeah. So what happened was Sam Bankman-Fried had the crypto exchange FTX. And what he was doing was when people deposited crypto onto the exchange, say you deposit Bitcoin, the crypto exchange FTX only has one Bitcoin wallet. And everyone on their account just get a number put on the screen, how much Bitcoin they have for the ones who own it. So... All of the crypto is sitting in one wallet, but everyone on the screens get shown what they're owed. So it's just an IOU on the screen. People think that when they're on their crypto exchange and they look, oh, this is how much crypto I have, it's in your account. No, it's in the crypto exchange's wallet and on your screen, it just shows you what technically you're owed by them. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. While everyone's screen was always updated to what they think they have there, Sam Bankman-Fried in the crypto wallets was taking all that crypto out and taking it to his other firm, Alameda Research, and then trading with it or or using it as collateral for loans to make other trades. So what happened was they messed up big time. They lost all this money. Binance, another crypto exchange, came in and started selling FTX's native token. This is, a, this is a whole kerfuffle. Mm, F- FTT was the end yeah. token. And which caused a lot of the loans to be uncollateralized. And what right. happened was Alameda went into like a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. When people started hearing about this, they tried pulling crypto out of the FTX exchange. Mm-hmm. However, they only had a small percentage of what should have been there because right. all the crypto was off the exchange and into Alameda research. So FTX, FTX users are trying to withdraw their crypto because it says on their screen that I have, say, have like one Bitcoin, but there's mm. no, there was nothing in the crypto wallet for the exchange. So it, it's the, just the same as a bank. Like yeah, they, a So bank recently run. we saw the uh, the bank runs that happened in yes. some of the... Uh, Silicon uh, Valley the Bank. In, in the, yeah, Silicon Valley Bank, First uh, Republic Bank and, and so forth. Like those... Those banks, they only have to maintain a certain position or a certain portion of their cash on hand in order to protect their assets. But the problem is if people get scared and they panic and everybody tries to run there and pull out their money simultaneously, there's not enough cash on hand in order to support all of those deposits or all of those withdrawals that are uh, that are coming out. And so that's exactly yeah. what uh, what happened here. So he basically stole customer funds to go make trades within his other company. And what was right. his motivation for doing that? I'm, I'm, I've heard uh, or I've read that it, it may have been political in nature. Is that correct? It could have been. The first foremost was sheer greed. <laughs> okay. What some of the political motivation and 
I don't know if it's really rumors or anything, but a lot of the government funding from the Americans went to Ukraine. And then Ukraine had some large positions, apparently, in the FTT token, which he got the money. Mm-hmm. And then he was donating to a lot of Democrat campaigns. So he was the second like, largest donor in yes. the 2020 election. Yeah. So it was almost like a kickback. So when really? the, the Democrats donated to Ukraine, it was almost like kicked all the way back to them in a way. So really? again, people can research that. A lot of opinions on that one, but where there's smoke, there's fire, in my opinion. Wow. I, I thought the Democrats did everything by the rules. <laughs> uh, Always, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and, and just to get and go to go back to Skylar's earlier point when it came to, you know, th- this this happened on on crypto but that doesn't mean it's just limited to cryptocurrency it's it's not at all and this type of behavior has existed on the financial markets you know going back to what we talked about with the dot-com bubble at that time period we had two major malfeasance events that occurred uh one with worldcom and one with enron and uh dad you can correct me if i'm wrong or, or tell me which one it was but i remember one of them uh got away with uh basically inflating their asset values by parking a lot of their liabilities in offshore assets so they basically created special purpose entities and special purpose entities in order to house some of their liabilities i i i I would venture that it was enron but uh, i don't i i I, I don't remember i without verifying i can't say for sure but i think it was enron we'll we'll put it in pencil that it was enron but my recollection was that it was enron as well that basically parked a lot of liabilities in uh in special purpose vehicles that were uh, located in other countries in order to basically hide the amount of liabilities that they had so they could then borrow war money to uh, to grow the company. And basically, they ran a giant Ponzi scheme that eventually <laughs> uh, crumbled around them in the uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. When, so, when, I th- when I think of Enron, I think of Weekend at Bernie's. Except Bernie's, a- <laughs> except, Ber- <laughs> except Bernie's was at an offshore uh, location. Oh, oh, they were offshore as well. So uh, anyway, that's uh, that's a, that's, that's a film reference, Skyler. Sorry, yeah. for your time. Everybody knows Weekend yeah. at Birdies. It's yeah. okay. Um, <laughs> one of the things to add really quickly to that is one of the benefits of digitizing everything, and it kind of ties back to the previous question about the government tyranny, how that's on one side, and one of the benefits would be is you can actually tokenize proof of reserves. Right. So you can you can have contracts for crypto exchanges or even banks that show that every asset they have on their books is 100% backed. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about it too is through those things I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, zero knowledge proofs, they don't actually have to show the liabilities and the assets on the actual numbers. They can just have a contract that verifies and shows it's true. Right. So everyone knows if I keep my assets here in this bank or this crypto exchange, I know it's backed and it's safe. Right. So that's one of the benefits that can come from the blockchain technology. Absolutely, I think that's actually a, a great point to uh, to mention, and it it provides a, a lot of peace of mind for a lot of people out there when it comes to uh, thinking about this technology and potentially some of the benefits that it could have. So, really quickly before we uh, before I get into our uh, wrap up portion, Skylar, just uh, talk a little bit about the ongoing litigation with Binance. So, Binance actually popped up in our story there about uh, the FTX scandal. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on there with their? Uh, uh, with their ongoing litigation and what their business and function is and uh, what's the ongoing concern for their operations. Sure. So Binance is the world's largest crypto exchange and they have heavy ties to China. And when they opened in the US, the Americans didn't want. So Americans, the SEC said, you're not allowed to come here unless you have a specific US version. Mm-hmm. So then Binance created Binance US. 
on paper, they're two separate entities. One, which is worldwide and has heavy ties to China, another separate company that is following American rules, or so they say they did. Right. And that is the issue with the SEC is they found out they weren't. And what happened was since blockchain technology has a lot of um, tracking and you can follow transactions, there was a ton of movement and ties between Binance and Binance US, specifically with Chinese money. So that violated all these American sanctions and stuff. And all of a sudden, and when the proof came out, the SEC sued them pretty damn fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the other thing to keep in mind with Binance is they actually pulled out of Canada and sorry, Ontario. So as an Ontario resident in Canada, you cannot sign up for a Binance account. And the reason being is because they're not up to standards with the Ontario Securities Administration with their with their rules. And right. that's what a lot of other jurisdictions in the world are coming down on. And that's one of the issues with them. A lot of it has to do with know your customer. So they actually don't require customers to submit identification so they can trade anonymously, right. and which helps with money laundering for obvious reasons. Yes. So that is one of the issues that's coming down with them. Right. I think that's a, that's a great point and a, a very thorough uh, explanation of what's yeah. going on there. And, and one and one that ties heavily into what you can expect to come with crypto regulations. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You can expect know your customer and all this stuff that they're not on train to be gone. Yeah. And it's actually fun, funny that you mentioned that, Skylar, because when I, so yesterday, you and I have been discussing this, uh, this subject at length for a while, and I decided to dip my toe into the water. And uh, and so I opened up my own account to uh, to invest, and I wanted to put it in a TFSA. And then I, I learned yesterday that you can't because it's not a, uh, cryptocurrency is not yet a regulated uh, asset. And so therefore, it, does, it is not allowed to exist within a registered account. So there's a little uh, no way. tidbit of information for people out there until we move into the next phase where there is a higher degree of uh, normalization and regulation within the uh, the cryptocurrency space, it will not be eligible to be held in a registered account here within Canada. I'm not sure what the rules are in the United States. I'm, uh, I'm not familiar with how uh, it's treated with regards to a 401k. But as far as I know, within uh, within Canada, I cannot and was not allowed to hold it in my TFSA. So, oh man, can you imagine like investing early in crypto, making like a hundred million off oh, of just like the, and then all of a sudden, I was hoping it's, for. I, I know, right? It's not tax. <laughs> You're like, I'm, I'm gold here. <laughs> exactly, and then, you know what, Skyler, and some of that is probably why it's not allowed to go. Yeah, I know, right? They, because they, they know what's coming, and they don't want yeah. anyone taking advantage of that. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, anyway, I think uh, this is a good point to uh, kind of wrap things up. As I mentioned earlier, as, and as you've mentioned, this is the uh, this has the potential to be the investing opportunity of a lifetime. And and for those who are looking to learn more about the subject, including learning about potential investment opportunities, you should definitely go to Skylar's website, which is ascendblockchainsolutions.com. There you can sign up for Skylar's weekly newsletter, subscribe to his podcast through Patreon, and register for his educational courses or reach out to him to learn more about his consulting services. And so uh, this is a, this has been a fascinating topic. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope everybody else will have enjoyed it as well. Uh, it, it, it really opened up my eyes to, to what this is all about. Thank you, Skylar. That was very educational. And I think uh, given that this is a, a moving train on your tracks, uh, that... <laughs> that we're going to have to have you back on a, uh, on an ongoing basis to uh, keep the score. Tell us what the score <laughs> is and who's winning and who's losing. Yeah. Well, you know what, guys? Thank you for having me. And I also want to say I'm equally as impressed on the questions you guys were able to come up with on the spot of how you guys 
totally clicked and sees certain aspects that most actually don't. So your awareness level is way more than most. So that hats off to you guys for that. Thank you. Appreciate Thank that. You. Thanks, Skylar. Bell will uh, turn it back over to you to uh, to drive us home here. Well, let me tell you, this was a really fascinating conversation. I enjoyed particularly the part about regulation because that is the hotbed of discussion within this particular sector of finance at the moment for all the reasons that uh, were articulated in this podcast. One, a lot of people feel like there needs to be regulation. And two, a lot of people with libertarian leanings like myself, I'll admit to, and John, they're saying, whoa, wait, (laughs) this puts the government in complete control. So those of us who are like skeptical of central banks anyway, suddenly have our nightmares all coming true. But this is is a great conversation, guys. Bill, Bill, I wonder if, if the founding fathers in the Constitution wrote anything that would be uh, adaptable to this situation. And, mm-hmm. and I will be fascinated to see if, if someone can dig something up. Mm-hmm. Obviously a, not uh, specific yeah. to technology, but specific to, you know, the, the treatment of something like this. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I right. mean, the founding fathers were geniuses in the way they anticipated a lot of uh, human behavior. And I'm wondering if there's something written that uh, is not as well known that may, may cover this issue. Well, you know, I would say offhand without giving any, you know, without, you know, without doing a great deal of legal research, I would say probably in the Fourth Amendment, which has to do with the, the seizure of private property. Right. And, you know, the, the notion that the government can suddenly seize your property and shut and because it's arbitrary on their part, I think probably we would fit under there. But I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to make the argument. But uh, yeah, no, this we is, should get this, Alan Dershowitz on this. Actually, he probably would be. He would probably be actually kind of interesting on this. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I just want to add one more thing in the wrap up, guys. Is to yeah. talk to John's thing, is that all the money in the world is going to become digitized, and I'm talking value that's off the charts in the quadrillions of dollars, right? If someone nails on the right side of regulations, and they find the crypto projects they're going to be working with that money. Yeah. It's going to mint new millionaires and billionaires like easily because oh, people sure. did it. People did it with Bitcoin when it was like at a dollar, yeah. right? So right. that opportunity is there, and that's why it's the investment opportunity of a lifetime. But then when you become a hundred millionaire or a billionaire, trust funds are a thing, and so are offshore accounts, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. True. We'll be yeah. playing a totally different game, right? That's true. But so. I, you know, Skylar, before we get out of here, I just want to get one thing cleared up in my mind because this has always been the simple distinction in my mind. Yeah. Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies could not exist without blockchain, blockchain technology. But Blockchain technology can exist without crypto. Yes. Correct? Yes, because blockchain is a, the infrastructure that can handle yes. data. So you can have like an example of that would be healthcare. You can have yep. patient patient records minted onto the blockchain and there's no need for a crypto just to store records. Yeah. Exactly. No, and it's always been fascinating for me because it creates an uh, this is a whole other discussion. Are you we telling me we're two hours with are you so telling I'm gonna me shut sco- up? I'm gonna stop right now. Skyler, <laughs> you're telling me we're solving the problem of healthcare. <laughs> That's for part two, John. <laughs> healthcare <laughs> bureaucracy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, this is great. Thanks, Skyler. Really, really appreciate it. John and Alex, as always, this is a great podcast. Um if people want to reach out to you guys and and talk to you have further conversations, whether it be about Bitcoin, crypto, or or other topics, how do they get a hold of y'all? Absolutely. So uh, our website is medwealth.ca. That's M-E-D 
medwealth-wealth.ca. People can email us at info at medwealth.ca and uh, you'll find all of our other communication information on there in terms of uh, telephones and whatnot. We're also on LinkedIn and on X, formerly known as Twitter. I feel like I am Prince or the artist formerly known as Prince. Uh, so uh, you can uh, reach us on uh, X at med-wealth. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. And listeners, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I am sure you found it interesting. There is no doubt about that. So if you're not a subscriber already, please hit the subscribe button. That way you do not have to wonder when and where you heard this this podcast because it will be delivered to wherever you listen to them on your listening device. And you don't have to, and won't ever miss another another episode. For uh, for John, for Alex, for everybody at MedWealth, I'm Bill Tucker reminding you, do not wait. No, live your best life today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Prescribing Prosperity. Visit our website at med-wealth.ca. That's med-wealth.ca for more information or to connect with us for a consultation. Don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and their guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of IPC Securities Corporation. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of a qualified and licensed financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment or retirement planning. MedWealth Financial Services can provide a private consultation to help you determine the suitability of any guidance discussed on the show.